Hello, this is Mandar Kulkarni, and I welcome you all to the Agile Planet podcast. Let us start with today's episode. Our guest today is from United States, and that too from our local area, San Francisco Bay Area. Jarvis or Jay Johnson is our guest today. who is a very senior agile expert jay adopted agile in the early stages in the same time when agile manifesto was being formulated and he was working with uh, ibm at that time and he continued to be agile and innovation expert in ibm for long time of his career after that stint he has been working as a vice president in a company called matrix consulting where he consults with multiple organizations so we are lucky to have a person who has very wide and deep experience in agile for around 40 years and with that i'm going to request jay to give us some more details about his background and jay to before that i want to welcome you and thank you for being participant of my podcast well thank you andar um i'm very excited to be here and and share some of my life with everyone um so like uh, andar said i've you know been doing this for like 40 years so when i first started out i started out as a software engineer i started out coding mm-hmm. when i first started coding everything we really didn't have a structured you know way methodical way to do stuff and uh, when others came out with that James Martin everyone else we kind of latched on to that and kind of followed it because it it gave us some structure and then you know some of my most exciting uh work was with uh NASA and I wrote a lot of code for there and learned a lot uh from from that organization and then moved on to uh IBM and and learned a lot from that organization too mostly working with clients and some internal um IBM work or or projects i was in the financial services uh area of IBM at that time and global business services which is the consulting firm and we mostly work with you know bank regulatory companies banks insurance companies uh financial companies uh, uh, as such and internally in IBM we were uh doing software engineering and we were doing back in the days when XP kit kit back and then released that we were kind of following that way of of working together and mm-hmm. and it was uh very different from the waterfall it was hard for me to transition to that and and the way of working there and then uh when agile manifesto came out and Scrum came out with uh with their way of working it was another transition for me and change. Mm. So I went from software engineering and coding to like uh enterprise architecture I was also a database db2 guru <laughs> I really got mm-hmm. into data I love data. And then I went to the project management program management route, right? Mm. And got all my certifications and you know kind of ran large projects and programs. And then I went from that to XP and doing all that and kind of running, not really running, collaborating with the team to get the work done. 
And then I went from that to Scrum and then then evolved into Safe and Less and, and, and all these uh, additional frameworks. So it's, it's been an interesting journey for me and I, I'm always learning. Every time I turn around, there's some mm-hmm. other new wonderful thing out there that someone invented, right? I can remember story mapping. We started using that. I can uh, remember uh, outcome-based metrics. We started using that. OKRs came out a long time ago, but now it became much more popular now. Um, so every time I turn around, there's, there's some neat, new, cool stuff to do and learn. Sure, sure. So as you are a very early adopter of um, uh, Agile and Scrum and that too for such a large organization, such a powerful organization in the world. How how did you uh, how did you do that? In the sense, what I want to know is whenever such a large organization wants to adopt something completely new, which is not really spoke, speaking proven in the market, what are the challenges that you faced either internally or externally with your clients when you adopted these? Agile methodologies, XP, Scrum, whatever, whatever methodologies you are trying to adopt. Yeah, so in the early days, it was about really um, exuding confidence for the client or for their internal organizations in IBM to try something new. Because mm-hmm. you got to remember, in the early days, okay, I can even go back when we tried to sell project management. I don't know if you all know this, but in the early days of project management, no organization said, why do we need project managers? Hmm. But over time, you know, world's people's thinking and how we do stuff evolved and you know, project managers were important. It was the same thing in the early days when we started saying, okay, we want to do iterative incremental development and we want to break down the work and, and, and we want to do scrum and this way of doing stuff. It was not an easy sell. Okay, people were very skeptical, you know, uh, would this work? And they would have, you know, a, a, a list. They really would provide me a list of reasons why this would not work, right? It's not going to work here. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. And we would have to go through each one of those and, and come up with what we could do to mitigate those risks or those issues or those, those concerns that they would have. Mm. But it really came down to, hey, do you want to be involved in a cool, exciting experiment? It may or may not work, okay? But do you want to go on that journey and, and see see if we can make it work? So it really takes uh, an executive or someone with uh, the decision power to, to make that call. In the early days, that's really what it was. It was risky. Okay, so it wasn't like today where you had, you know, hundreds of people out here or thousands of people who've been there and done it before that can come into an organization and and then kind of uh, show them how they've done it and help them out. Back in the early days, there was very few people who has done mm-hmm. this before. Right. So so we had to uh, acquire the skills and the capabilities, you know, go through the training uh, we would work and consult with uh, leaders in the field at the time who had the most experience at the time, right? So if you go back to like Craig Larman and Boss Bodie and some of the others, you know, Jeff Sutton and all of them, they started early too, right? So we would mm-hmm. borrow from them. We would go to the conference. We'd talk to them, get their information and knowledge, and then we would practice it. 
right? Mm -hmm. But uh, the key there was that we were allowed to learn, experiment, and fail, and adjust, right? Mm. And then we had we had clear measurement. So IBM at the time was a very data-driven organization and company. So they were already there about getting facts and data, and it's a, it was a very financially driven company, mm. okay? Which means you've got to prove that this is going to work, you know, within six months or three months, and they've got to see the financial metrics to indicate that there's positive outcome coming out of this so they can continue it. So I'll be honest with you. I was just lucky to be working mm -hmm. with some very smart, bright people that was very adaptive, and we just figured out how, how to make it work. And then we started working with our clients. It mm -hmm. was the same thing. Our clients were uh, very skeptical at the time, and uh, we used what we did in IBM to go over there to a client like you know Nationwide Insurance, or for example, and say, well, let's let's try this uh, way of doing things, and we can create like a development center, an agile Scrum center of teams, and and it kind of organically grew because what happens in my experience in organizations is once you become successful, everybody mm -hmm. in the organization knows it. Yeah. And everyone comes to you and say, wow, wow, we've seen all this great stuff you're doing. Not only is it a great outcome for the company, but your people seem to be happier. You mm -hmm. have this magical work-life balance going on, right, which is hard mm -hmm. to attain. So they'll, they'll eventually will come to you and and they'll want you to help them. So that's kind of how we've done it. We've kind of organically grown it. We learned from the experts at the time. Uh, then we learned by doing. I really, my philosophy is you don't have to be perfect to start doing something. Just know the fundamentals. And, mm -hmm. and there's some prep work you got to do. But you're going to learn by doing it. And, and we're all smart people. We can figure it out and, and adapt. Yeah, yeah. So... Now, I have not worked with a larger company, like largest company like IBM any time. But now when you are, uh, you are, that is becoming part of your largest experience, what one or two um, takeaways that you have from a larger company like IBM's experience that you earned over there? Can you say something about such a big company, what you came out with when you came out from IBM? I think uh, there's some things I had to learn about myself and grow. So one of them was you have to be patient. Hmm. Is with large organization, large complex organization, change does not happen quickly usually. Hmm. It's large complex organization. You have to be patient and you have to keep, uh, keep working at it. Okay. The other thing I, I think works well is, is having a plan and, and, and I call it implementation plan. Hmm. So a lot of people call them roadmaps today, but I go down to a little next level of detail. It's not a project plan, okay? Right, yeah. But it's, it's, it's like, how are we going to do this very practically and pragmatic, hmm. if you will? How are we going to implement? What teams are we going to start with? So I always look at, and this hasn't changed over the years, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I always look at three levels. 
of an organization mm -hmm. design that we have to do. The first level is what I call strategic investment. So these are generally the executives. They're the leaders. They have to make decisions about running a company and what they're going to invest in, you know, the budget, so forth, et cetera. And there are certain techniques and practices they can use to be objective because usually it's the most powerful, loudest person gets their way, right? And we, we try to avoid that. Then the second layer of the organization we looked at is, is kind of like the product uh, layer, the product area, uh, and, and the product line. But it's all product nowadays. Everything's centralized around the product. Even the new version of Scout Agile Framework, uh, version 5, has really you know, now identified it's all about the product as well as the yeah. team. So now at the product layer, then we, we have certain operational models we do there, certain organizational design uh, that they have to make certain decisions and help uh, make sure that the flow of work comes to the teams. And then we have the team layer, like the scrum teams, the combat teams or whatever, the teams that are uh, doing the, the work, the coding and testing. Um, now that's evolved. So remember when this first started, it was all the technology and software world, but now it's moving to the business side of the house yeah. where they scrum and agile. There's no, sometimes there's no code at the end, right? Yeah. But we're using some of the same techniques and some of the same ways of thinking, ways of working and practices, right? Mm. So those, those same layers can work, right? So now in big companies like IBM, uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, all, all these big companies, these layers add a level of complication, okay? Mm. It's just so big. And then you have the management layer. So this is the hardest thing for change in an organization, moving to Agile Scrum, is that the management layer now no longer has the power to pull people from a project to another project because there's eventually no projects. But in big companies, they still have projects. That's how they do okay? But we're trying to slowly evolve over time to creating these autonomous teams and you fund the, the product. Right, and the teams stay together for the life of the product. You don't move people around. Of course, people move every now and then. Of course, but it's not like the project management days, right? Yeah, and that's a hard change for large organizations, right? And the managers, you know, now they are having to do something else or different. There's a lot of work to do. Don't get me wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But that that resource management and stuff that changing is difficult for us. So that's I've learned. Patience. <laughs> you've got to take them on a journey. You've got yeah. to give them something to do. So if you're going to take something away from them, you've got to give them something else, right? Cool. Of importance and value to do for the organization. So big companies, I would say the big difference between big companies, especially regulated industries where you have compliance and audit and regulatory uh, things you have to take care about and risk mm. is that it's more complicated and more complex so what sometimes i hate to say this sometimes what you read in a book and learn what another company is doing does not apply mm -hmm. one for one to these big complicated organizations you're yeah. going to have to adjust accordingly so that's yeah. what i've kind of learned <laughs> sure. Sure. i like that patience and that's really stands out everywhere whenever you are really looking at organizational transformation, the things don't happen overnight. That's very true, very true.
let's move to the another topic now you are working as a consulting industry consulting with multiple organizations large and small and uh, we all have uh, in agile we have seen that there is a significant amount of various frameworks coming up right from layers to uh, safe and disciplined agile and all that um do you do you want to uh compare or in your opinion which which are the most effective uh, i would not say you say that as a prescription but in your opinion what type of framework has worked best in your opinion in your experience i think it's the framework that that the company develops themselves works the best mm. so where's the different my, thought yes <laughs> oh here's my experience and i've implemented safe and last and and, and dad and all, all of those to some degree yeah. um safe probably has the largest um footprint there it's out most organizations but for i would argue that most organizations modified it and adjusted it mm-hmm. for their needs okay cool um uh, and and safe is to me you know okay but it's kind of complicated and i and i'll dean nothing wrong them did are doing well and a lot of companies organizations like it. I think they like it because it's not requiring them to make significant organizational design and changes. They mm-hmm. still have the program level, the team level, the portfolio level, a lot of the project program management discipline mm-hmm. words mm-hmm. and thinking, okay? They have this notion of a release train, well, it's really a, if you think about it it's a program. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? it's a program. Yeah. So 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 for many companies that's kind of an easier absorption for change. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like mm-hmm. an, an incremental change, right? Sure. Compared to large scale scrum last, you know, Boss Vody and, and Craig Larman are very vocal about mm-hmm. you have to have complete organization change and design. You shouldn't have any project managers or program mm-hmm. managers. So yeah. they're very vocal about significant comprehensive change hmm. right uh so not every company is going to feel they could do that nor do they want to buy into that right hmm. so and there's others discipline agile is more like a cafeteria you pick and choose and it has all this cool stuff that you can pick from and and, and it includes other things that you need to cool. do so scrum is good but it doesn't include change management it doesn't include that product layer product discovery you know marty kagan uh, i like his idea of product discovery and product delivery and mm-hmm. how you have to synchronize those two scrum doesn't include any that notion to that degree of detail mind the product product school to, so product the product discipline mm. now is a major discipline out there there's yeah. thousands and thousands of people throughout the world that's their career Right? right 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 scrum master same thing that's a major discipline right now right there mm-hmm. right cloud you know all that stuff on the technology side is of course too but now i've noticed that from a framework perspective scrum is by far is out there more companies and people are doing that in any framework right mm-hmm. and it's now celebrate 25 years that's true and, and And I always made a joke, anything that's over 20 years is probably 
no longer valid and old. Let's see, <laughs> prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Still out there doing it. So, so I see that if we can take these uh, the fundamental changes, you know, and I call mm. them the mechanics. You know, the team mechanics, how we work together operationally, mechanically. Mm-hmm. People tend to do that really well, and I like integral agile. I don't know if anyone's ever heard about that, but you can look it up. And and that we look at these, if you will, four quadrants. One is um, we got to put Pajira out there. We're going to do these Scrum events. We're agile. Well, not really, because then we've got to hook up the mindset and the way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Because because yeah. you because that's different, right? So it's yeah. it's behavior, it's the organization uh, leadership and how they lead, right? And then mm. the next quadrant we kind of pull together is what we call the organizational structure. To me, cult, organization drives culture. So how you design mm-hmm. your organization with the Conway rule and everything else and, and software and communication, it's important we focus on that. And then the last quadrant is generally the uh, uh, the outside world. We think uh, outside in nowadays. So now how do we deal with our suppliers, our, our uh, vendors? You know, how do they become part of this agile ecosystem? What we try to do nowadays, from a framework perspective, as we take, you know, safe or less, whatever, we make it work, we might adjust it, you know, pick, pieces of parts. XP is still out there. I mean, I argue DevOps and CI, CD, that all came from XP. <laughs> it's yep. just gotten better over time, right? Mm-hmm. But we take those things and we kind of orchestrate around that agile ecosystem and we mm. pick what works for us, mm. right? And then we adjust accordingly and, and it evolves and adapts over time because new stuff, new changes is always going to happen. And we've got to be able to adapt, right? Yeah. And I really believe in the Kanavan framework too. I use that a lot to, to make decisions and, and to determine what practices and tools we use, wh- whether it's for the complicated domain or the complex domain, because it's very different on how we mm. handle complex domain. Complex mm. domain, we don't, there's too many unknowns. Mm. There's a lot of sense to respond to everything else you use. That's more product discovery, probing, figuring things out, right? Mm. Most of us in the in the industry or in most corporations work in the complicated and the simple domain, mm. right? The complex domain is is much more difficult to work in the you know because you're you're really on the cutting edge. Right, right. So these four quadrants that you talked about, I missed the name of that framework. What's the name of that framework? I call it's called the integral. Frame, it's the integral framework, I think it is. Um, uh, it's Michael Spade. And, okay. and them created that. I think they, they call it a different name now. They have another company. Okay. But, uh, but uh, it is, it, I, I think if you, if you do a Google search on the Agile integral framework, or it'll, it'll pop up. Okay. Okay. Agile integral framework. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> Uh, Jay, my next question to you is: um, We talked about um, talked about um, three layers of organizations where they need to be changed. If he, any organization needs to be uh, transformed, uh, executives, uh, middle management, and team. And in my experience, 
um what i have realized is any agile consultant agile coach uh, he definitely has to bring in the new processes but he has to really really be very skillful in managing what is called as a resistance and that resistance sometimes is very very upfront or sometimes it's very subtle and you have to really be very careful about how you handle that resistance so that you can show some good progress made with the philosophies the processes that you are bringing in do you have any insights about how to handle the resistance yeah so this is where and i really believe this is that not all of us are have the same skills and capabilities okay mm-hmm. we're all different okay yeah. unfortunately to do this agile transformation well you have to have really good interpersonal skills you mm-hmm. have to have really good political skills mm-hmm. and this thing they call emotional iq right, right? cuz you're going to need it mm-hmm. okay? this is about people human beings and changing human behavior and ways of thinking there you know thinking that you know the best way and and the the types of words you use the tone you use how you interact with people how you know who to go interact with mm. okay all makes a difference because mm. you know people use that word servant leader a lot but it's it's more than that that this is this is if you really think about it you're becoming an uh, adept politician mm. wow <laughs> that's what you're doing yes. <laughs> so you have to know every individual you'll get to know them and their personalities you'll get to know what what's in it for them right mm. and and how and what okay sally has a problem with joe okay and and they don't get along Okay, well mm-hmm. why? What's what's going on, right? Cuz I need Sally and Joe to get along. Right? True. Now, I've had situations through this work mm-hmm. where I had to talk to executives and people and we had to replace people or we had to put people on other work inside the company because they just weren't going to change. And mm-hmm. I've had a couple people who actually tried to sabotage the mm. work and the effort mm. and they were caught right so decisions had to be made right so yep. so i'm just saying these things will happen if you're going to really be successful at this mm-hmm. i think the the capabilities and skills you need in the interpersonal world and the politics world and the emotional world is mm. is of more valuable more value mm. than the skills in scrum the skills in jira and you know, i mean they're, <laughs> they're important don't get me wrong right, right, right. we need people to do that but if you want to work up here with the leadership of an organization and the management of the organization and and help enact positive change going forward then you're going to need the interpersonal skills and the politics mm. <laughs> Absolutely. I cannot cannot agree with you more than this because ultimately if you do not have enough and right kind of emotional uh, emotional intelligence then the life is going to be very difficult. It's a people's world. Right. 
Right. And what's weird, weird, I'll share with you my life experience. When I started out as a software engineer, I was a very, I was an introvert. I really didn't Mm. like people. (laughs) (laughs) I like being on my own and, 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 and I didn't really like interacting and, and doing any of that stuff that I do today. Over time, life presents things to you, yeah. right? And you're either going to be attracted to it and, and learn it and do well, or you're not. And you're going to go off and learn this, right? right. right. I, I chose this way. And so mm-hmm. far, it's been okay. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I want to touch base upon two things which are related and kind of on the periphery, okay? So first thing is in your jobs, uh, in your name itself on LinkedIn, when I look at it and your description, there is a very strong presence of a word innovation, which is part of your um, title as well. And in my opinion, or whatever I understand, this word has got so many different shades and meanings to everybody. How do you understand innovation? What can you... Can you simplify innovation for us and tell us in the agile context that what innovation means? Yeah, so innovation uh, to me, and if you go out there and research it, there's different types of innovation, but it's basically coming up with an idea or an invention, but you make it uh, usable to the market or to the people. Mm. So it's something that makes a difference. And people start yeah. to like the iPhone iPhone is a great innovation, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, that's innovation. So companies now, uh, really to survive, uh, you have to be innovative. Mm. Okay. And you have to be the leader of innovation in your industry. If not, you're not going to last very long. That's just the way it is today. So Mm. uh, I kind of lean towards that over the years. So over the years, like I said, software engineering, project management, now doing the practical stuff, Scrum, now helping with, you know, change, you know, authorization of, of, of Agile. But now I, I really focus a lot on innovation. It's like, mm. cool, we'll get the delivery going, get the Scrum teams up, we're going to get all this work done. But what are you innovating? What are you bringing to the market that's going to change the market or change the customer, right? So what mm. new product or service that you're going to do or you know provide that disrupts right okay. so i work with companies to help figure that out and there's certain practices and tools we do but it's just it's it's a different way of thinking now here sure. in the bay area where you live and i live there's a lot of startups right yeah and there's a lot of startups that die and we step over them on the street right because not every startup mm-hmm. lasts very long but but the, but they all are about innovation. So when they get together and and that the real I won't say real, but the, there's a difference between what Scrum calls a product owner, product manager, and what the startups do from a product owner, product manager, and what the product school and others mind the product does. Okay, they're they, they're not writing user stories, okay, mm-hmm. and stuff. They're coming up with how am I going to create this new product with this team? They own the product from birth to death, how it's going to get out the market, how they're going to do certain things to evaluate 
whether the customer is going to buy it and, and so forth and, and constantly adapting and evolving, right? And they kind of lead the charge on that particular product, right? Mm. That's innovation. And what's happened is a lot of big companies tried to emulate that. So what did they do? Instead of creating innovation inside the company, they create a separate innovation lab. Mm. And hired a bunch of people to go up there and invent stuff like, okay, how are we going to make cars drive themselves? Mm. Here's a team, go figure that out, right? Uh, SpaceX, I mean, how are we going to launch vehicles, uh, space vehicles up and then take the launching vehicle and, and capture it back and save it and use it again? I mean, look, NASA many, many years ago, as I worked there, we never would have dreamed of that was even possible. Mm-hmm. Right. But now look what happened. A bunch of people got together, innovated and created the possible. Right. Yeah. So that's to me is what innovation is. It's what mm. what what can you do to change the world, change society, make it better. Right. Yeah. That to me is innovation. Um, and we're doing that, too. So I also uh, encourage people to look up Adobe Kickbox. If you just Google Adobe Kickbox. Okay. That's a good example of how you can do innovation at the corporate level. Mm. Uh, and, and so innovation can come from anybody. Anybody in the company can do that, right? Mm. And, and, you know, we know that Facebook and Google does these hackathons and innovation days and all that cool yeah, stuff. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and it's a similar thing that you've got to create an environment where, where innovation happens. And you mm. use the right people and skills and you have an environment that, mm. that helps that innovation happen, right? It's more than psychological safety. I mean, that's important. But mm. you've got to create an environment where everyone wants to innovate. And, 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 mm. and that's an intrinsic motivator. So look at Dan Pink, intrinsic, yeah. intrinsic motivators. To me, right. that, yeah. is a, that is a major intrinsic motivator for the newer generation coming up. So when I talk to the yeah. millennials and the next generation, it's mm. all about working for companies that makes a social cultural difference and innovates. Certainly, certainly, great. I I, I really like the way with which you explained it. And the last question is: I'm very impressed while I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, and you mentioned that you always like to learn. As I see your LinkedIn profile, I noticed that as recently as in June, you had done a course or certification in design thinking. And that's really such an amazing thing. After 40 years of experience, you are still ready to earn new certification and learn something new. Tell us something a little bit about design thinking and how that is going to be one of the key skills or key areas, um, especially for the agile practitioners going forward. <clears throat> sure. I like design. Another component of that is called service design. So you can look that up too. Um, uh, you know, some of the stuff we've been doing for a while, it's kind of formula- formalized a little bit with IDEO and Stanford. So it kind of started from Stanford and IDEO. Now there's yeah. a lot of design schools out there that yeah. you can learn from. And now MIT and all of them are, are teaching it, right? But mm-hmm. it's it's kind of cool in the sense that it is all about ideation and 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 working through a problem and mm-hmm. then coming up with a hypothesis. So the, what I like about this, this is those who are science majors, this is mm-hmm. scientific thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. You come up with a hypothesis and you try to prove or disprove the hypothesis. And you go through this simple process to do that. 
what Google does, they 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 created these design sprints to do this, right? Mm-hmm. For five days to come yeah. up with a prototype, right? And then we do Wizard of Oz prototypes and so forth to go get some data from the customer and determine what we should do and go forward, right? There's other things you can do. But I like the notion of the design sprint because I personally like using that on the innovation side, mm. on the product discovery side, right? So it's just a practice or technique you can use. There's others, right? But I like using that uh, because it does kind of um, take people through the pro- a process of how to mm-hmm. how to uh, ideate and then uh, come up with conversion diversion uh, themes and 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 processes and then hook it all together. Uh, Jeff Gotthive, you know, has done this in his book too and talked about how to apply this uh, from a UX point of view, and he has a. a uh, a way to do it right and there's several others out there that have these canvases now there's canvases mm-hmm. anywhere, right yeah where you can where you can follow this this process right so yeah. i've used this at a few companies and uh, teams and we we you know we solved some problems right or we came up with some new ideas uh for a product enhancement or, or a new product area and then we'd go out and do market analysis and 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 ethnography. So you can look that up. So ethnography, we go to the customer and we actually there in their house and see how they do stuff for their business and so forth. And we learn from that. It's it's an anthropology, cultural anthropology type of uh, technique and practice. So now what I see is that we're kind of figuring this out. We're kind of blending this together to see, yeah. depending on what problem we're solving or what innovation we're trying to bring to the market we we use these techniques to help us determine how to go forward oh, okay okay great i'm sure for any agile uh, transformation person this design thinking gives a very different perspective of looking at it especially convergent and divergent thinking really expands his uh, horizon i must say yeah, yeah well, well, think about yeah. it. It's different because most of us, at least in my background past, we're on a pro a project. We're on a team. We're coding. We're trying to get stuff done. We got deadlines and dates. We got to change this code. You know, we got to test this, push this code out. Okay, but most of us don't go to a team and say, "Hey, we have a problem. We need to solve world hunger." <laughs> Let's think about it. How, what are we going to do? What, what solutions can we bring, right? And that's where design thinking comes in. But, but hey, think about this. i got to have people in my organization, in my company. And there's generally the product leaders, product business people, yeah. as well yeah. as the technology people. They have to be able to go off. Some people, I don't know who they are, have to be able to go off from all this other work we used to do to think and go through the problem solving process to come up with ideas that we can really execute on mm. that's hard think about it in an yeah. organization who's going to do that and who how do i pick the people that are going to do that right mm. what skills do they need what capabilities do they need great great <laughs> yeah very important mm-hmm. jay thank you so much uh, for all sharing your great knowledge and experiences and ideas with us 
I'm sure all my audience of this podcast would love uh, your video, and of course, we also release this as an audio. Thank you so much again for uh, being here and uh, accepting my request to be part of my guest. And I'm really looking forward to talk with you again after a few days uh, in another episode of uh, of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast and to this YouTube channel. Thank you.